Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. My name's Christian Allen. With me, as always, the good-looking one, Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what is up? Hey, friend? I'm doing great. Hey, I do have some news. So is you, it uh, that is it that you're actually better looking than I suggested? <laughs> That's the news. I would not. Uh, <laughs> How many that? times, Rod, have you been introduced <laughs> with a focus on your smashing good looks? That it may be the first time. Okay. So well, I don't want to just let it pass. That's that's notice. one more time than I have. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but that's yeah. not why we're here, Rod. Tell me what news you've got because I hear you've got some big news. Yeah. So I think uh, a couple of weeks ago I talked about how our son Jefferson, who is supposed to be on his way to Brazil, was having a hard time getting his visa, or at least it took a while. Mm-hmm. So he had a stop in Tennessee, do some missionary work there. Well, he now has his visa, and he is on his way. To Brazil. Ooh, all right. Well, congrats. Ah, thanks. That'll he, be fun. Yeah, he's pretty excited. Okay, Rod, today we're going to jump into part two of the series that we started not long ago, yep. right? And we're going to focus on real estate and whether real estate checks all of the boxes inside our invest with benefits philosophy. So maybe a reminder, we've got six core benefits that we're dealing with. Leverage, velocity, cash flow, tax optimization, estate maximization, asset protection. Not necessarily in that exact order. But those are our six core benefits, okay? And in the in part one, we talked about how the investment optimizer as a strategy checked all those boxes. And yep. we promised that we would circle back to talk about how some other investment opportunities or other strategies that we can use fit into that same context. Okay. So I thought the most logical one to start with was real estate because guess what? That's where like everybody that we talk to invests. It's true. Almost without, almost without fail, they're real estate investors in some way, shape or form. Now the nice news is there's a ton of ways to do it, Yep. but we see, we see all of those and most people love it. So real estate's our starting point. What do you think? I agree. I'm excited to see, but we will leave it as a check as a question mark to begin with. Does it check all the boxes? We're going to find Does out. Does it check all the? Well, that's the question. Um, we know that we know that the investment optimizer strategy does indeed check all the boxes. Yep. We, we don't know yet, and so I'm excited to figure out as we go through this. Like, I don't know the ending. Or, no, I'm just kidding. I do know the ending, <laughs> but I'm still excited for all of you to. Feel, see, understand the power of real estate, hopefully at a slightly higher level than you do when we started this. Okay, so that being the case, Rod, let's start with leverage. Leverage in real estate. Kick us off. How does it exist there? Why is it why why is it used in real estate? And what's the significance of it? Yeah, leverage just feels too easy as a starting point because when we talk about leverage in other contexts, we always rely on, oh, for the same reason to use leverage in real estate, we use it in these other ways, right? So, but but let's talk about it. I was throwing you a softball, Rod, to get us going. It was a great lob. So 
and and again, the the reason is because people are so familiar with using leverage in real estate. At the very least, I was almost going to say everyone. Almost everyone buys their home using leverage, right? <laughs> That's a good caveat. Almost, if you are a diehard, a diehard follower of our man Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Maybe you don't. And th again, that's a maybe because even your diehards are like, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to save uh, like a hundred. I, I make a hundred thousand dollars and I'm somehow supposed to save like seven hundred thousand dollars to buy a first time home. Yeah. Good yeah, luck. Yeah. Good luck. Well, so you're and, right. and that's most everybody does. There are very few that actually make it is the problem. They actually don't end up buying a home. They just rent. Anyway, we don't need to go there. The point okay, is. But but can I make one other point? I have to yeah, make it since yeah. we're there. I just, you get me there. Rod, I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately. And the reason that it bothers me the most is because I just think about the last 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And by not purchasing the, the home, it's not, not only did you miss out on living in a house for that time frame, you missed out on probably doubling, tripling, quadrupling in many cases, absolutely the value of your home and potentially creating an asset that now you just have, you don't have, like it could be, I would suggest to people, one of uh, the worst financial mistakes they could make is saying, I can't purchase a home until I buy it in cash. Okay. So, but that wasn't the point of today. I just had nope. to, I just had to get it out off my chest. Once you brought it to the table. Leverage, though, it just makes it amplifies all of those things. So, for example, you talk about kind of double, tripling, quadrupling from the time we bought the home we're in now. We bought it in 2015. Within four or five years, it doubled in value. But the good news is we didn't put all that cash down on it either. So we got all the benefit of that increase on our down payment because we use leverage. So that's again, th these are just hopefully helping you get a glimpse. Um, but I'm going to take it a step further because when we did the virtual summit last May, we, we focused on concert using conservative leverage in order to uh, create generational wealth an accelerated path to generational wealth is what we called it. Mm -hmm. And in that conservative leverage, step two, uh, we highlighted a real estate example. And what we did is we said, okay, just to use really round numbers. So let's say uh, someone has $100,000 that they're going to go invest in real estate. And mm -hmm. there may be places still you could buy a property for $100,000. <laughs> so Very our, few. <laughs> Maybe like in the Midwest, if you're going for like a 600 square foot. You're right. There's not very many places to buy a $100,000 single property. But, but for example purposes. Easy number to use, yeah. So our investor A was buying the property outright, just $100,000, no no leverage used. Our investor B took $100,000, used that as a down payment, and then bought a property worth $500,000. So got a loan for the other $400,000. And what we did is we played out the first year of ownership. And we said, okay, let's just assume, we don't want to go crazy. Let's say there's 5% of cash flow coming off of it, just, just off of operations, okay? Okay. And then 3% appreciation on the property, Three percent. Yeah, crushing it. With that, our investor A on this hundred thousand, so he got five thousand dollars of of cash flow, three thousand mm -hmm. dollar increase on the property. So now his in one year, his increase went from hundred thousand to one hundred eight, eight percent okay. ROI. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. 
our investor B, the 5% uh, off the cash flow actually was 25,000, right? $500,000 property, 25,000. Mm. And the 3% appreciation was 15,000. And not only that, but because of the, with the cash flow, she was also paying down the debt, not a whole bunch off of the 400,000 in that first year, but $5,900 paid down on it. So by the end of the first year, her she turned her 100,000 into 145,902. So it's the okay, difference. Okay, wait, 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 Rod. We're not finished with that. I feel like we, you need to play this out to be more fair. Okay. She did have a debt that needed to be paid. She did. Did you incorporate that debt? Yes, because she paid her on the 500,000, her cash flow was a lot bigger, five, five times bigger than what his was. And so she, yeah. she was able to, the majority of that went to pay on the debt. Okay. So I guess I'm confused. So, so her money then couldn't have gone from a hundred thousand to 148 because she had to pay off a certain amount of that, that 48,000 went to pay her debt. So that would mean, okay, here's the thing, Rod, this is still going to be super impressive. <laughs> like there's a big difference, but I want to be fair. Cause if there's people listening to this and they're like screaming into the microphone well, they probably don't have microphones right? <laughs> into the speaker they're screaming into their speaker they're like rod people have have to pay on that debt so once you pay on the debt let's just let's make an assumption there okay well let, what yeah let's we assume she would have to we would have to take off of that to account for the because again, she's got to be paying on the loan. Okay, that's great. So let's do that. Let's say that of the 25,000, 20 of it was going to pay on the debt. Okay. Okay, that's a, you went higher than I thought. I like it. I mean, we're just going to we're just going to give all the Look, naysayers we're going what 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 they super want. Super conservative. Yep. So we're okay. going to say off of that her net cash flow was 5,000. So she matched his, right? Uh-huh. Okay. We'll just say that. Yeah. So net cash flow five thousand, the appreciation fifteen thousand. She gets all of that, right? She doesn't have to share that with the bank. That's the beauty of Every leverage. Every bit of it. Yep. Rod. Every. And then. And by the way, three percent over the last, over the last fifteen years has been, like, have we ever have we had yeah. a year in the it, last fifteen years that was three percent? Maybe maybe last year. <laughs> okay. Other right. uh, aside from last year, I guess I was talking about prior to the most. But you're, yeah, you're right. In lowdown. in a lot of years, it's been. 10, 15, 20% or more. Right? Yeah. Like and I said, mine doubled leveraged. in four or five years. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. um, so if you take that then and you say, and then also again, the, of the money that she was paying towards the loan, she had a principal reduction of 5,900. So with the adjustment in numbers uh -huh. is now basically 125. Okay. Okay. So has. now you're comparing 125 to 108. Correct. Which, by the way, as far as I can see, that is three times higher. Yeah. Three times higher than the 108. Yep. Eight times three is 24. So three and some change. Okay. That's crazy, though. What, what a, I think I like the example because it illustrates that you don't even have to get a good return mm -hmm. in order to get value from the amplification that leverage creates inside of an investment. And I say this all the time. I believe it. There is no more powerful wealth building principle that exists than leverage. It's just number one. It does things that 
no other concept can do. That's my that's my take. Yeah, and this is true regardless of how you invest in real estate. Or you talked about there are a, a ton of different ways to do that, and whether you are flipping properties, most likely you're using leverage. Whether you're a buy and hold, most likely you're using leverage. We're, we would encourage you to use leverage, right? Conservatively, be be smart, do the numbers, make sure you understand how it's how it's impacting things, but but using leverage. And even when you invest in a syndication, using leverage. Now again. We understand people's experience and whatnot with with leverage. Uh, pick the right operators, all that all that kind of thing st still holds true. But the point is that the leverage allows you to do things with your investing that you cannot do without it. Okay, I think that's well said. I think we have adequately covered leverage. There's probably no other asset class that better embodies how to use leverage outside of real estate. Okay. Next, Rod, we have velocity of money in real estate. Quick reminder, not a long one, quick reminder of velocity, what it is, and how does real estate utilize the concept of velocity? Yeah, velocity uh, is the concept of getting your original money back. So in this earlier example, they put the 100000 in. How quickly do they get that 100000 back so they can go out and, and put that somewhere else, invest elsewhere? It's going to take a lot longer for person A than it was for person B because of leverage. So, so leverage is a huge piece in this concept of velocity for, for a lot of reasons. Um, the reason I just mentioned is one of them, higher return. But the high, like you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, the higher return exists anyway, right? That doesn't necessarily, uh, well, it does necessarily speed up leverage or the velocity just because you're getting a higher return, right? But if you can take that money and go invest in something else to get you the same return, then you're just getting the same return in other places. But here's where or the leverage does speed up the velocity. And that is, for example, like on a refi, right? So she puts the original 100,000 in as the, as the value of the property appreciates because maybe she does some improvements on the property and or just appreciation in general in the market. She gets to a place, let's say it's three or four years later, where she is refining the property, getting her original hundred thousand back, and using that to go out and invest invest elsewhere. So, uh, whereas investor A, number one, didn't use invest uh, leverage to begin with, and is not going out and doing it later, right? The refi is not a thing if you don't have the leverage to begin with. So, um, again, it just it's. I know I keep going back to, to step one and we're in step two on the velocity, yeah, but my point is velocity, right? it speeds it up. It speeds it up okay. in real estate because of what we're doing on the leverage. I want to clarify something here because I think this is important. Are you suggesting, Rod, and I would suggest that this is the, the ideal, but I want to make sure I'm really clear that you that I'm not putting words into your mouth. So what I would suggest is the ideal situation is that I invest my hundred thousand. We're using our same numbers. Invest that hundred thousand. I get that money back, but I still have the same hundred thousand dollars stake in the original investment. Yes. And I think this is super critical. It's not just about getting my money back, because then if I just go do it again, like, and I'm just getting a return, I haven't really created the amplification that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. The key here is to get my money back as quickly as I can by producing a return that gives me my money back. And oftentimes that could be in the form of 
of uh, refi, right? We right. we allow some appreciation to happen for a couple of years, and then we refi it and we get our money back out, but we still own a stake in that investment. Now yep. that's when it becomes really powerful because then you're now creating multiple assets that are doing the same thing. And you've, even if you don't have a huge amount of extra money to put into deals all the time, every mm-hmm. year, most of the people we talk to do, but let's just say you don't, that's still a model that you can run with, right? You can say, right. okay, I'm going to put this here. Uh, maybe it takes me five years to get it back, but now I've got a, a stake of, you know, I've got an income source coming from that investment and I've now taken that money and I've done it again. And even even if that's the only thing that you do, you would dramatically accelerate the the time frame it takes to get to your kind of financial freedom, right? Mm-hmm. It might be the difference between going from age 65 to age 50 or 55, right? Yeah. And then of course, if you are one of those people that can continue to pump more money into the system, then it just like really blows up. Yep, absolutely. Snowball effect. Okay. For sure. Okay, leverage in real estate, velocity in real estate. Those are things we talk about all the time, Rod. We also talk about cash flow. Hit on this one for us. It's kind of obvious, but just hit on it. Yeah, cash flow. So, uh, we're just going back to the whole whole idea of replacing your active working income with passive cash flow, and real estate is an amazing vehicle to be able to do that. And uh, again, in regardless of how you invest in it, if you're buying your own properties, it's buy and hold. You're creating cash flow. That's coming back to you. That's a source of income for you. And and then you go and invest in a, a syndication or you go whatever. Like there are a lot of different ways that you can invest to create that cash flow. But the point is, as you're doing that, as that snowball that you talked about a minute ago is building and you now have multiple streams of income coming off of that, that all of a sudden gets you to a place where you can replace your active working income and you hit that financial freedom. Rod, what's a cash on cash return? I got to make sure that people know what is a cash on cash return. Well, cash on cash is is re- referencing the actual the flow back. So it's it's different than so we often talk about IRR meaning mm-hmm. the like the return that you're getting but measured in time. Because if I say I'm getting my cash on cash return uh, is whatever a hundred percent, or you, you talk about these one point seven multiples or things like that, um, and I can do that in two years or three years. That's a that's an amazing IRR. But if it takes me ten years to do that, maybe not such a great IRR, right? When, again, when measured with time. So, yeah. cash on so cash it's is great. To have- yeah, you look at it, understand it, and and measure it. It matters. With context, yes. with context, you just have to add the element of time for yep. sure. For sure. Okay. Okay. So, anything else you want to hit on as it relates to cash flow? Obviously, cash flow is the money that comes off of our properties, right? And yep. real estate is, again, kind of the prime example of an investment vehicle that produces, that can produce consistent, regular cash flows. Of course, the key is to turn those cash flows into net income by, doing the right things and we'll, we'll yeah. get into that right now. Yeah. And I hit on a little bit with the having multiple streams. It it kind of works out that way just because that snowball effect, but you want it to work out that way as well, because there are times where you're 
your property is vacant or you're needing to do an upgrade or, or you have extra expenses you weren't expecting or things like that. So if you're always relying on a single property for that, in most cases, you might be great and have that cash flow, but, but you don't want to be relying on, on a single. For the same reason we talk about diversification in, in other ways, having multiple Yeah, security, consistency. Those are yeah. important, especially when you're talking about money um and you know the way that you spend and uh, of course the obvious thing is you've got to have cash on hand when you're mm -hmm. dealing with real estate or any other investment it's important to keep cash okay rod the next three that we're going to hit on are maybe a little bit less obvious than our first three right because everybody thinks about leverage velocity and cash flow as mm -hmm. like those core benefits of real estate investing not everybody and actually, I was I was watching a video today, Rod, and they were talking about stocks, uh, not stocks, sorry. They were talking about index mutual funds as mm -hmm. index funds as the like the way to invest. Like you don't need to do other things, just index funds is the way to go. And the first reason that they suggested that it was one of the best places or the best place was because of tax benefits. And I almost mm -hmm. like I almost like fell over in my chair because I was thinking, I swear, Rod, I'm about to talk about tax optimization in real estate, and it is 10 times more powerful and impactful than what I can get in the index fund space. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's no benefits by being in mutual funds, right? I, I go put my money there, and as long as I hold it for, a long, for long enough, I can have it be a long-term capital gain instead mm -hmm. of a short-term or, or, or ordinary income, but that's it. Like that's basically the extent of my tax benefits, right? Yeah. Rod, I would love for you to talk about some of the primary benefits that exist in real estate, because again, they're just so much more impactful than what we can get by throwing money into index funds. Again, not that there's never, or yeah, not that there's never a place for using index funds. I just wouldn't make that my go-to for tax benefits. Let's put it that way. Okay, well, let's start with the direct comparison. And my, so I'll, I'll turn a question back to you. In When you invest in real estate, would you say you're most often facing short-term capital gains or long-term capital gains? Uh, long-term capital, capital okay. gains. Because, of course, it's not it's not super liquid anyway. So, like, yeah. it would be hard. I mean, if I'm doing a flip, I might be able to do it quicker. But most often, you're looking for long-term capital long-term capital. Gains. Yeah. And, and the point there is that the treatment on what you talked about with, with stocks or mutual funds is, is the same here. In other words, if you have that, that appreciation on the property you talked that we talked about earlier, you don't get taxed on that as, as the property grows, that all gets yeah. pushed down to, to yeah, it's, later on. That, that one is silly. Cause you're right. There's like, from a, from a comparison standpoint, that's just like the nature of any investment, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you can invest in, well, most investments can give you at least that pushback for yes. the time that you're invested in it. Yep. Not all. If you're invested in a CD, you'll get a 1099, but most places, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And then secondly, do uh, in this comparison, do index funds give you the opportunity to have depreciation? Rod, people don't even know what depreciation is. So okay, like, so depreciation didn't even come up in that conversation. So it tax, I was excited no, to hear about the tax benefits, but it was really, it was exclusively that you could make it a long-term capital okay. gain instead of ordinary income. So your, okay. your so comparison let's... point like is pretty easy. You're, 
again, I'm throwing law, I'm throwing softballs to you. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about depreciation real quick because when you have a hard asset and it's true in real estate, but it's also true with, you know, a vehicle or, or, you know, machinery in your business or whatever, right? Any, anytime you have those kinds of hard assets that have a, a time frame, a life cycle built into it, then you, you get to count that against your income, right? It's a, it's a tax deductible expense against your income. And within, with real estate that happens anyway, right? And then secondly, uh, the law the past few years ago created what they called bonus depreciation so that you can accelerate that front end load it in the first year. And initially it was better than it is now, right? For this year, for 2023, we're at 80% bonus depreciation. In 2024, it'll move to 60%. But the point is, number one, you have depreciation. Secondly, we can we can accelerate that, have more in the first year. Uh, and then the next piece is that, okay, great. So we, we wrote all that off, but if then we still sell the property, now we have just a larger capital gain as a result. Ah, unless... You do a 1031 exchange. Oh, man. Well, why don't you just do the equivalent in a mutual fund? Can, can't you just do a 1031 exchange there? Ooh, uh, I don't think that tax code has been written yet. So we don't okay. have a... Well, we'll we keep an eye out for it. it. Yeah, I'm sure it'll okay, happen. Good call. But yeah, that's, it, that's exactly it, right? There are very few assets where you can sell the asset, move to a new one, and... But, but you don't have a tax consequence for doing that. Well, real estate happens to be one of those. So, so you. They also have that uh, kind of niche deferred sales trust, which has a similar kind of benefit to what you can get from a 1031. Yeah. You know, so depending on situation. But the point, like, largely that you're making is that, okay, we talked about long term capital gains in my index funds, but that's like it. Mm -hmm. and, and what we've talked about in a real estate investment is, three or four ways. And we, we didn't even mention, you know, cost segregation analysis, which is another way that can create an additional tax benefit. So yeah. like, there's just a bunch of ways to create that, which of course, if you understand how returns work by reducing taxes, we are quite literally increasing the return. Yeah. And, and then there's the, there's like the clincher because you could say, oh, but Rod, if if I'm getting the depreciation and then doing a 1031 exchange, I'm still just pushing that tax further down the road, but eventually it's going to have to be paid. Uh, unless, unless you die while you're owning the property. Because when you pass away and you own a piece of property, that property gets what they call a step up in basis. So in other words, let's take the original 100,000 that was invested in our earlier example and 50 years later, you've grown that snowball and now it's, but you did all the 1031 exchanges and the depreciation and you, you kept pushing that tax bird, you know, down the line. Now it's worth whatever, $25 million. And theoretically that's, you know, tw almost 25, 24.9 million of, of gain that you've carried over this 50 year time frame. But then because you get that step up in basis, and all that means is that instead of having your your cost basis at the hundred thousand that you originally paid, it immediately and magically jumps up to whatever the current value is at the time you died. So if the next day your heirs sold the property, the basis on that is twenty five million. In other words, they're not going to pay all of those capital gain ta uh, taxes on it. 
Hey Rod, what if I what if I poke a hole in your analysis here? I've got let's one do it. for you. Okay. Let's see if you can rebut me. And by the way, I already know the the rebuttal, so I think you can. But here's the question, Rod. What if I want to get to that money while I'm alive? Like that's great that I can pass like once I pass it on, I get a step up in basis, but like you know, I'm I know I'm 1031 exchanging and stuff, but like I gotta use I, I need to use some of this dang money and I don't want to get crushed from a tax standpoint when I do it. What the heck? Yeah. So the beauty is that you're getting all of that cash flow as you're as you're doing this. You're, you're using the leverage for the refis and other things like that as you go. So there are a lot of opportunities to to get that value back out of the property while you go. Well, that's the key. Okay. So that's the key. You can just get it back out of the property and you do it via loan, mm -hmm. right? So while I'm living, this is just like life insurance, by the way. We talked about this exact same principle while I'm alive. I borrow the money. I borrow the money against my real estate. I borrow the money against my life insurance. By doing that, I never have to pay any income taxes. So it's really simple to use to use an asset, uh, one that has significant um, equity, and it's just as simple as using it as from from a loan basis mm -hmm. rather than trying to pull, you know, trying to sell it as an example. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. Rod, that's number four, tax optimization. Less people think about real estate tax optimization, although I think that the uh, the alternative uh, voices, the alternative investment voices are growing. They're, there's, Absolutely. And maybe it's just because we are in this space. It feels that way. But I do think that there's some traction. Real estate has incredible tax benefits. Okay. Segment, Rod, number five. Asset protection through real estate, what's the connection between the two, if there is any? Yeah, maybe first we define asset protection. This is basically, you've you've built all this wealth, right? We talked about all this snowball and all these things, but you want to make sure that you are protecting that so that you're not subject to frivolous lawsuits and other problems coming up to that can take those assets away from you. And real estate is... it. it it kind of teeters on the fence because you have to do the right things to make it work, right? So somebody could be more vulnerable by by the fact that they own real estate and they had like a slip and fall or something on their property. Someone is now suing them because they owned the real estate. But now the other side of the fence is if you do all the things correctly when you're setting it up, in other words, the way you own it matters. So you set it up inside of an LLC. And what that does is it isolates that property so it's by itself. So in other words, they have the slip and fall, you're getting sued, but they can't get to any assets that are outside of that LLC. So all of the other real estate you own are in separate LLCs, your personal property they can't get to because it's isolated there. So the point with asset protection is that you have, uh, you're building a shield, so to speak, around each of the individual real estate properties that you own so that the the maximum uh, vulnerability that you have is what's inside of there. Uh, but then in addition to that, oh, there's more, there's more because you have insurance, right? You're, you're going to have insurance on that property. Anyway, the liability insurance would cover that slip and fall up to a maximum. So again, we also recommend having umbrella coverage above that to make up the difference if, if ever you hit your maximums on your insurance. So there are multiple facets to it, but they're really easily built around real estate. The, the, 
the laws, kind of the legal side of it makes it really easy to, to do the things that we're talking about with real estate. If you think about real estate as a, as an investment strategy, right. And mm -hmm. it encompasses a few things, right? So for example, real estate in and of itself doesn't have leverage built into it. Yeah. Right. I have to use that in, like, it's a strategy to, to borrow banks money or other people's money to create that additional amplification. Yeah. Similarly, when you think about how asset protection works, it's just the same. It's real estate in conjunction with some very simple but appropriate um, asset protection planning. Again, like you're saying, making sure you're owning them in the right type of entities, doing that alone will keep you completely protected from those outside issues. Um, and then, like you said, you can carry that additional layer of protection by having insurance. So there's really no reason why real estate investing as a strategy shouldn't be bulletproof when it comes to asset protection. Absolutely. Well okay. said. Rod, let's get into estate maximization. How does real estate impact estate maximization? And you did give us a little bit I, of a teaser. Maybe yeah. not even a teaser. Maybe you gave us a giveaway. <laughs> Just, but that's okay. Let's 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 hear it. I want to make sure that there was it wasn't subtle. Everyone's got to pick up on it. Yep, yep. So, and the biggest thing is it's that step up in basis that I talked about. And and this so Christian a minute ago you talked about how with leverage, with asset protection, real estate doesn't automatically have those things. We do the things that need to happen to, to bring that to the table. Yeah. On, on this estate maximization, it just happens with real estate. The law says when you die, you get a step up in basis and that just happens. You don't have to and do anything special. It's incredibly powerful. I'll give an example. So uh, maybe I gave this example for before, but my grandpa passed, he was 96 years old. He lived an incredible life. He just passed uh, about a year ago, not even that six, eight, six, eight months ago. Um, and he owned, uh, a bunch of fourplexes and, mm -hmm. uh, down there by Brigham Young university. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like, it's a bumping area. I think there was like nine of them, but he purchased them for next to nothing. And, um, he was considering selling them mm -hmm. and, anyway. And I was over here silently like rooting for him not to sell. And it wasn't <laughs> that he needed that. He he didn't need the income or the money. He was totally yeah. well off. That wasn't the issue. He, I think he was just maybe tired of having that extra thing on the side to deal with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But can I just tell you the difference between the amount of money that my grandpa passed on by not selling his real estate prior to his passing is probably, I mean, 30% of that value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're probably talking, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, $9 million. So like the difference was two or 3 million bucks. Like that's insane, right? So yeah. just by owning that asset, owning the real estate asset until I die. Um, and again, the, the, only, the only reason that someone would sell it in that situation is if they needed the money. But mm -hmm. guess what? If you have the equity, you can still pull out the money and not pay the taxes. Uh, so while I realize that there's some caveats, I can't get 100% of my equity out, but I can't get 100% of my money out because so much of it's going to taxes anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I yep. love real estate as a as a um, estate planning tool. Um, aside from life insurance, 
I think it's uh, as powerful as any asset that we can pass on from one generation to the next. Agreed. Okay, Rod, let's recap this thing. So we've talked about how real estate fits into it. The question I think that we're trying to answer is, does it check all the boxes? Do you think we adequately proved out that 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 theory that it does? Is I it think we now? did, although I'm realizing on the tax optimization point, I realized we left out a huge gaping uh, oh, part yikes. of that. Okay, what is it? And that is, so we focused really on depreciation, just like almost uh -huh. 100% and then 1031s and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but when we buy real estate, that was your are, fault, Rod. I was just, it I is, was just listening. It was there and, and I didn't <laughs> grasp it when we were there. Um, but it's the business. So you have expenses. You have ah, a lot good. of tax deductions Pick that you can get Rod. because you own real estate that you wouldn't have in, in other places. So again, yes, we'll, you suddenly purchased a business. Yep. What, and you, and there's just so many things you can do to get tax deductions on your business, right? Like while still creating the benefits. So if I'm going to spend money to like, to find my real estate to like in that, the effort of the, the overall investment strategy, right? Investing mm -hmm. in real estate as a strategy, it's usually going to cost time, money, energy, all those things. And it's nice to know I can bring money back out and I might as well use those things for my expenses. And of course, when I do that, I still have increased my income. I've just not increased my taxable income. Yep. Good point, Rod. Good Whew. point. Okay. Who okay. I'm, I'm glad that you caught that one. I, I would have listened back to this and started yelling at the yelling at my phone. I'm like, Rod, I'm just kidding. Say um, it. Okay. This has been fun. Quick, uh, quick overview of what we hit on. We talked about how real estate checks all six boxes, leverage, velocity, cash flow, tax optimization, asset protection, estate maximization. It checks all of them, Rod. I'm giving it, it the, I'm giving it the passing grade. In fact, I'm giving it a, a big fat, a plus. So my final thoughts, and maybe I should ask you, Rod, do you have any final thoughts before I close this up? Just because we're coming up on Christmas, I feel like I need to take advantage of this opportunity with the A plus. It's going to okay. be A plus, 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 plus. Just a reference to Whoa. the Christmas story. Yeah. His, his like little it. fantasy about his, his grade. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you're old enough to have seen the Christmas story like Rod is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Final thoughts here, Rod. If you're going to invest in real estate, if you're going to invest, make sure you invest with benefits and real estate is an incredibly powerful way to do that. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.